you turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 this morning, we'll finish up uh, the remainder of the chapter in the time that we have left. This is part three, it's the final installment, and I want to really just remind you that this particular attribute of God is really the one lasting attribute that takes us from earth to heaven. It is the one thing on this earth that we're to be known by. It is the one thing on this earth that is the substance and the background and basis, really, for all of the other gifts and skills and talents and usefulnesses that we have to the Lord. It is the supreme thing. When we talk about God's love and when we minister in God's love and when we are examples of God's love, we are really putting forth the character of God himself. And so as we finish up this morning and what love really is, I want to remind you that this affects the way you are a friend. It affects the way you are a spouse. It affects the way you are a parent. It affects you in the community. It affects us as a church. How we love is the most important thing that I really think we can do while we're here on this earth. It should affect how we witness. It should affect how we speak. It should affect how we interact with one another. It should even affect our thoughts, how we think towards each other. It, it should affect our emotions and how we respond in those deep in, inner feelings that we have. Love should be the catalyst, if you will, for really who we are in Christ. And so this morning... Part three in our final installment in the supremacy of love. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the lives that are intertwined here. And we pray that by your spirit, God, you just help us to be more loving each day that passes. Uh, that your love would invade our hearts and our minds and our lives, our actions, God. That we would uh, say the things necessary to show your love. That we would act out. Uh, those actions that bear your love to the world. God, help us to lay hold of this passage in a way that's meaningful and fruitful. We love you. We praise you. We thank you that the supreme example was Jesus. Lord, we thank you that you died on Calvary's cross to make this love known to us. We bless you. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. We'll pick up the latter part here of verse 6 and we'll finish the chapter. But... Love, speaking of it, rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, it believes all things, it hopes all things, and endures all things. And so we're going to get a lesson on what love is, and how it functions, what it does, how it responds. He goes on to say in verse 8 that love never fails, but whether there are prophecies they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. Interesting that something so spiritual as the gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy in the collection of knowledge, specifically gnosis, that knowledge which comes from the Lord, those things actually have their time, their place, their purpose. But those things will ultimately fade away. Because when you get to heaven, 
you're not going to need prophecy. When you get to heaven, you're all going to speak the same language. You won't need tongues. When you get to heaven, these things that we now think we know in part, you're going to know in fullness because you're going to be complete when you get there. The one thing that's going to remain when you get to heaven is really love. It's that deep love that brought Jesus to this earth to pay the price for our sins to begin with. It is the love that we're supposed to have one for another. It's the love that we should have towards those who don't know the Lord. It's how we function. So as I said, love is the transcendent thing that goes from this earth to heaven. And that means our love should be growing. It should be increasing. It should be coming greater in our lives because ultimately it will be the existence that we have when we see him face to face. And that is why it goes on to say, for we know in part and we prophesy in part. In other words, all of us sitting here this morning likely have some understanding of God's word and that's growing in our lives. If this is the first time you've ever been to church, you just got some of God's word and so you know a little bit. And even though I've been around a long time in ministry, I still know a little bit compared to the sum and total of what God would have me know. So we know these things in part. But when that which is perfect has come, when you step from time into eternity, when you take your last breath here, whether it be through those natural processes that wind our life's clock down and the Lord takes us home one at a time, or whether it's through the rapture of the church and with the way things are going in the Middle East, that might be soon. Amen? It's kind of crazy over there right now. I don't know. I'm not predicting. I'm not prophesying. I'm simply saying that we know what our Bible says. It could be soon. When you take your last breath here, and you take your first breath there, it's going to, amen, it's going to be a breath of love. You're going to go, hallelujah. No more suffering, no more sorrow, no more learning, no more taxes, amen? <laughs> no more bills, no more time clock, no more disobedience, whatever, no more tickets for driving through town at 37 miles an hour if you're one of those blessed folks. None of those things are going to be in heaven. You're not going to need to learn anything. You're not going to be able to even be taught anything because you're going to be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Hallelujah. Amen? So when we think about heaven, we think about perfection, and we think about the perfection of the Lord. And the Lord demonstrated His love towards us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. That is how deep that love goes. The example that we have is the Lord Jesus Himself. And so it says, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. We're not going to be as we are now, failed flawed, with, with error, with open rebellion at times, with sin, with difficulty, with pain, sorrow, things we don't like, things we disdain. Those things are all going to be a part of the past when you get to heaven. Hallelujah. 
Amen? I can't wait. I have my issues. I'm doing, for those of you who knew Jade Murdoch, I'm doing his memorial service this afternoon. I hate memorial services. I'm grateful God's given me the ability to stand and try and bring comfort at a difficult time, but I'm tired of burying people. That hurts. I don't have words. I'd like to never do another one. Can't wait to get to heaven. I'm sure those of you that are struggling, maybe financially, would like to never struggle again. Amen? Like to have all your bills fully and finally paid when you get to heaven. Fully, finally paid. No time clocks in heaven. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. You won't have to worry about what percentage of your income goes to taxes either. You won't have to worry about health care either. Amen? You're going to be in perfect health. That's why love is so important. It's a foreshadowing of what we will have perfectly there. The love that's being talked about here is the love that God wants for us for eternity. And that's why we try and live it as best we can now. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, and I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. And see, this is a challenge for us. When I was a child, I I thought very selfishly, and so did you. If you don't believe that, go to a daycare center and watch children interact with each other. They're not going, oh, please take my toy. It's, oh, give me the toy. They're not here. You can have my snack. Can I have your snack? When I was a child, I thought like a child. I acted like a child. I understood as a child. And spiritually speaking, this is also true for us today. We're growing in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I haven't arrived yet. None of us have. Some of us are a little more along the path of spiritual adolescence than the other, but none of us are fully matured, and we won't be until we get home to be with the Lord. But we ought to be trying. We ought to be seeking to be more loving as He is. And so the picture here is, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Isn't that weird how when you look in a mirror in the morning, you, you kind of you, you, you look at your face, and I mean, I've gotten to places where it's just like, well, where did that guy come from? <laughs> I seem to vaguely remember you were younger at some point in time. You know, you stare in the mirror and you look at the wrinkles and the sunspots and the... You know, the things that you want to go to your dermatologist and have them take off, that kind of stuff. And you go, how did I get here? But you realize that what you see in that mirror is not what God sees. You realize that all of that aging process and all of the things that we look at, we go, oh man, that's just ugly. That's not good. I'm not holding up so well under the weight of gravity. You know, you... You look at yourself in the mirror and you, you kind of get a picture. You remember back to those better days. You realize as far as God sees you, the best is yet to come. We only really get a little glimpse. 
We, we kind of look in that mirror almost like it is in the morning when a cold morning when you take a shower and it gets all fogged over and you kind of wipe a spot so you can see, you know. That's how we live here in the mountains. And then you look in there, it's kind of little raindrops going by and still a little bit foggy and you look at yourself and I look better now. <laughs> God sees the real you. He sees the real us. He understands exactly what's going on in our lives. And he knows ultimately what to do to make it perfect. And that's where we're heading. And we want to do as much as we can now. That's, that's why, you know, we go have those things burned off. That's why we use the face cream. That's You've got to be careful. Some of us guys, we use the wrinkle cream. They're just like we would shrivel up because that's all there is is wrinkles. But, you know, spiritually speaking, the Lord understands that this is a tough world. You know, all those little wrinkles and things on your face, those are the marks of life. Amen? They're scars, they're wrinkles, they're things that, have, that, that stand out that this is how you've lived your life. And when you see those wrinkles and when you see those faults, when you look in the mirror, you're seeing what life has actually brought you here on this earth. You realize it's only a little vision because the real you is not what you're seeing in the mirror. The real you is a heavenly body and a heavenly mind and the fullness of God's love. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. That's why the Lord's going to say, well done, enter in to my kingdom of rest. Receive the joy of the Lord. Hallelujah. that's That's what awaits us. Don't you want more of that now? I do. I do. I want more of the Lord now. Call it spiritual greed. I don't care. Call it just wanting more of Jesus. I want more of Jesus. And I know I need less of me. Life puts the wrinkles on us, but Jesus smooths them out. Amen? For now I know in part, but then I shall know as I am also known. You see right now, do you realize God sees you perfected in Christ Jesus? Isn't that amazing? From God's perspective, the messed up you is not what he sees. The messed up you, the the part that still every once in a while does exactly what you know not to do. The, The part that every once in a while has a bad day and rebels against the things of the Lord, the the part that is you that says those terse words that shouldn't be said, the part of you that is not yet perfected. Because the Lord in His mercy has chosen to forgive us. The Lord in His grace has chosen to save us. The Lord by His love has paid the price for that relationship. When we finally get there, you're going to be known exactly as you are, which is a child of the love of God. And now abide in faith, hope, and love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. And so in the remaining minutes that we have, love keeps no record of wrongs. And I want you to notice as we go through these things that they're all the attributes of our Savior. Every last one of them is exactly how God treats you. 
exactly how God ministers to you. And they are not conditioned upon you doing anything. For you are saved by grace and through faith, and that not of yourself. The love of God has been imparted to you, not because you deserve it, not because you've earned it, not because you're good, not because you're better than anyone else. It is given by grace and grace alone. Unmerited favor. He says love keeps no record of wrong. As a believer, we don't keep lists, family of God. We just don't. And the reason we don't is because we don't want ours kept. When I think of my own life and I think of the capacity that I have to do the wrong thing, say the wrong thing, act the wrong way, behave in a way that that the Lord certainly would not want me to do, when I think of me, the last thing in the world I want up here on PowerPoint is my sins. Amen? It's like you show up on the Sunday morning, and here's the things that Pastor Jeff did this week. Well, uh, two hours and 40 minutes into the service, we finally got through the list. Yeah, we don't keep record of wrong. We can't. You wouldn't want yours exposed. I don't want mine exposed. That's how love acts. And it doesn't mean that we don't deal with things. It doesn't mean that we bury our heads in the sand. It doesn't mean that anyone's a doormat. It doesn't mean that anyone has to put up with incessantly uh, being beaten, abused. It doesn't mean any of those things. It means that when we are confronted with something that is an issue that's brought to us from someone else who has wronged us, we put it in the category of forgiven and forgotten. And we say, you know what, that's covered by grace. Once it's dealt with, it is part of the past. It does not get drugged to your future. Your sins are not going to be in heaven. There isn't going to be a list of them. When you get there, he's going to say, enter in. Not, whew, well, we got about 6,714 things yet left to deal with. Real love doesn't keep a list. Real love says, my brother, my sister is a human. My brother, my sister has their faults. I have mine. We've acted in a, in a way to bring repentance and renewal and refreshment to the situation. We've done what we can to be restored. We've made restitution where it's necessary. And once those things have occurred, we let it go. I do not personally believe that there's anything more destructive to marriages than keeping lists. You hang on to it, it's just like, well, you know, two years ago you said this. Last week you did this, you did that. Once they've been addressed, they go into the grace account. Amen? That's where they need to go. Because you're going to make up some new things this week. You're going to have some things that happen. It's going to happen with your kids, too. I don't know about you, my kids aren't perfect. Your kids are probably not perfect. Your friends are probably not perfect. I know it's shock to us all, but we're not perfect, and neither is anyone else on earth. We're going to disappoint. At times we're going to outright rebel and sin against each other. We need to address it, seek restoration, seek repentance, put forgiveness in play, and then let it go and move on. Because the result of not letting it go and moving on is you become bitter and you become hateful and you become hurtful. And those things will not produce love in your life. 
says, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. Think of this for a second. How many times in your life, and I'm not asking for a show of hands, because frankly, I don't want to know. Have you thought in your mind, or maybe even echoed with your lips, they got what they deserved? Sure glad he's frying right now. Man, if you knew how he treated me, or what he said, or she said, or they did, ha <laughs> boy, they finally got what was coming to them. Do you realize that's not from the Lord? That's not from God. And yet at times we all do it, don't we? We, we, need, to, we need to let things go in a way that we don't rejoice in evil. Not ours, not anyone else's. And not when evil happens to other people when we think they have deserved it. Evil's evil. God hates evil. He doesn't wish evil on anyone. He allows circumstances to be certain in other people's lives. But we are to love what he loves and hate what he hates. We have no part with evil of any kind including the kind that we think maybe somebody earned. Rejoices in the truth is really the opposite of taking pleasure in evil, because truth is God's truth. That's what's in view here. You see, as I bring God's truth to bear, it takes care of the evil, because my response will always be correct if I see it from God's view. If I don't see it from God's view, I won't react in God's view. That's why it's so important that we know what God's Word says, because then I have a place to work from. I know what God expects. How often, and I would just remind each of us, myself, certainly first and foremost, that God most often functions in in the very simple and mundane things of life. That's how he functions. God wants us to be love in our relationships. God wants us to be love in our jobs. God wants us to be love in the marketplace. God wants us to be love at the gas station. I know that's hard, but you can do it. Filling up and you're wondering where you give your next quart of blood to fill your tank. God still wants us to be love. God desires for us to be love. He desires for me to be love. Can I tell you, even when I'm in correction mode, I'm supposed to be love? I don't have the right to fly off the handle. I was bought and paid for with a price, and that price was the blood of Jesus. I I don't have the right to scream and yell and say things that are hurtful and mean because I have been hurt. I have the right to take them to Jesus. I have the right to put him in that category. And I know this is a tough thing, and I I mean no disrespect to anyone. And I'm not trying to minimize anyone's hurts or pains in the slightest. I'm simply saying from God's perspective, if we have received fully his love, we are indebted to him in that same love. I take that love and I go, Lord, let me in love correct my children. Lord, let me in love be an employer. Lord, let me in love be that husband my wife needs. 
Let me in love speak my words to people. Let me in love encourage and let me in love act as you would act. God, I want to be your hands and I want to be your feet and I want to be your mouthpiece and I want people to know that you love them by the way I love them. And so we shun these things that are not that way. And so he says, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. The New International Version, slightly different, but also true. Love always protects, love always trusts, love always hopes, love always perseveres. The New Living Translation takes verse 7 this way, love never gives up. Love never loses faith. It is always hopeful and it endures through every circumstance. So after explaining what love really doesn't do, he says here's four things. Love believes and bears all things. Are you willing to let that be a part of your life? Because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, means you can love as Christ loves. Because that's how he accomplishes everything. Whether it's exhortation and correction, or whether it is that edification and building of the body of Christ, every single motivation that God has falls back to love. Believes all things. It bears all things. The word protect there is actually a Greek word, stego, which means to, to shield from the effects. That's some pretty deep love. That means that when someone else falls and someone else stumbles, that your thought is to not only not expose them, but to protect them. To come alongside. It, it believes the very best in people. It, it, it thinks kindly and lovingly, and longly. It doesn't doesn't look at those things and go, well, I know what's in their heart. We all know what's in our hearts. They're deceitful and desperately wicked, amen? We know. You know that about each other. You know that about me. I know that about you. There are things in your heart that I don't even want to know what you're thinking. We know that about each other. Are we willing to protect each other? Or are we trying to expose? You see, real love protects. Real love covers. That's why Scripture reminds us that love covers a multitude of transgression. It doesn't expose it. It doesn't say, oh, well, you should see what he did or she did or how they acted or what they said. It's why gossip is such an anathema to the Lord. Gossip is the destruction of another person for the sake of you looking better. That's what it is. And it is a complete and entire lack of love. It lacks love. It's saying that person isn't worth saving. This passage says we're to save people. That's why we go the extra mile. That's why if someone slaps you on the cheek, you turn and give them the other one. That's why you walk the extra mile. That's why if they don't have a cloak, you give them the tunic. Love always trusts. That's hard to do, isn't it? 
It's not talking about trusting in the humanity. It's about trusting in the godly. It's about giving God an opportunity to work in that situation. Love always gives God time. So important. Because God has all the time in the world. And sometimes we pass along our impatience to the Lord, don't we? We say, oh, I'll go that far, but I won't go this far. I'll go that long, but I won't go this long. If it happens one more time, it's over. The picture here is enduring trust. The picture here is that kind of love believes the best. That's why it says love gives the benefit of the doubt, or love always hopes. Like When I really love somebody, when I really care to see God work in their life and I want what God wants, I'm willing to go the extra mile. Ten extra miles, twenty extra miles. I'm willing to go far enough that even if it hurts, I'll go that far. It always has hope. Not in me, not in them, not in the circumstances changing, but in God's capacity to do what God does. That's why we have hope. I, I can tell you that to, to meet with people time and time and time again and to see the damage that is in the relationship and those hurts and pains, you run out of things to say. And at times you just want to throw your hands in the air and say, well, I don't care, just go hate each other. As a human being, I want to do that. But that is not what God wants. God wants me to keep reflecting them right back to Jesus every single time, as long as it takes. And if it takes a decade, then keep loving, keep hoping, keep enduring. It says keep persevering. Real love hangs tough. Amen? It's what it does. That's how love functions. That's why it says love never fails. It's not talking about your capacity to enact these things. It's talking about the love of God in you, which is the hope of glory. See, my hope later is not in me. My hope is not in me arriving, okay? It's not I wake up in the morning and, man, I'm so much further along the road and, man, God could just take me home right because I'm ready. I'm not ready. And in a human sense, I will never be ready in Jeff. I'll never be deserving in Jeff. I'm going to receive it because of my hope in Him. In the finished work of the cross of Christ, in the love of God that's been a gift to me, not because I deserve it, and not because I've earned it. And so the hope that's being talked about here is available to guess how many people? Everyone. Everyone. When we think about this, this is what we have to offer. I don't have hope in me. I have hope in the Lord. I don't have hope in my plans. I have hope in the Lord. I don't have hope in retirement. I have hope in the Lord. I don't have hope in getting a mortgage paid off or a new position. I have hope in the Lord. 
Ultimately, the answers are in him. They're not in me. And they're surely not in this world. They're in the Lord. That's why love is always the right thing. And we're not talking about the mushy-gushy love that people are confused about. We're talking about the agape love of the Lord. He who began that good work in you is able to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. He started it. He's got you where you are today. And he's able to finish it. It is that love that we're hoping and trusting in. Because if it's in a program or it's in a denomination or it's in this church or it's in your marriage or it's because of your children or your parents or whatever, if you're hoping in something other than Jesus, then your hope is misplaced. And I'm not talking about love and care and concern for. I'm talking about real love. That real love that I have comes from the real God. That real love that I'm looking forward to, being complete one day in heaven, comes from Him. That's why when I talk to couples, and and I will get that statement like, well, we just fell out of love, then I will tell them, I don't believe you were ever in love to begin with. Because you can't fall out of this kind of love. All it does is get better. From the time that you experience it first at salvation to the time you go home to be with Jesus doesn't mean you don't have problems, doesn't mean you don't have faults, doesn't mean you don't have weaknesses, but this kind of love endures. It never fails. Real love does that. Now I want to encourage you. Everything in our lives as believers is really built from a basis of love. doesn't mean that you can't correct. It doesn't even mean that you can't have some righteous anger at times. But righteous anger is still loving anger. Righteous correction is still loving correction. You see, you can do those things in love. The Spirit of God can work in those very difficult things. And cause love to be brought forth, even from correction. We know by the focus. Because if it's me trying to please me, it's probably not agape love. If it's me trying to please God for the benefit of others, that's likely agape love. And so it says, these things one day are going to be complete. Our bodies will be complete, our minds will be complete, our faith will be complete. And that's why it says, abide in faith and hope and love. That word abide is a wonderful word. It means to set up home. It means to dwell in. It means to make it your goal. I like to dwell in. Man, I I sure know when I'm dwelling in the love of God. Because everything's affected by it. And I know when I'm not abiding in love. Because I can tell by the fruit of it. I'm short. I'm terse. I say things I don't want to say. And I live long enough to regret having said them. I do things I really shouldn't do. 
and I live long enough to understand that I shouldn't have done them. You see, love never fails. Love's the right motivation. It's the right course of action. And as we grow, we're supposed to grow in love. As we view ourselves, we should be able to look in the mirror and say, a little more loving today. A little more enduring in that characteristic of love today. A little more patient in love today. A little more long-suffering in love. You get the picture? You can take all of these things and, Lord, am I a little more of these positive things and am I a little less of the negative things? That means you're growing in love. Now, here's the good news. If you're in Christ, one day you're actually going to get finished. And I'm looking forward to that day for me, for you too. But we can be grateful for today. And we can look forward longingly to today. Saying, Lord, your love doesn't fail. Don't let me fail to love like you love. Help me to love as you love. Increase that love that you've given me towards others. Let it begin in our homes. Let it begin with us as individuals. Because Jesus said that all men would know that we're actually his kids if we actually have agape one for another. The first letter that John wrote to the church says there in chapter 4 that God actually is love. If you wanted to define him, he's love. If that's the case, and we are little Christ, and Jesus is God, Jesus is also love. And so if we're really going to reflect him, what we ought to be is love. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Lord, I thank you for this precious body of saints. Pray that in each one of us, Lord, where those little difficulties come, God, where our lives are maybe a little out of balance, maybe we're more correct than we need to be and less loving. Lord, maybe we're just uh, simply a little anxious. We're not patient as we should be. Help us to be more loving. Lord, maybe it's in our parenting or, Lord, as, as employees or employers. God, help us through our lives to bear your love to a world that desperately needs it. We're grateful, God, that you first loved us. You showed us the way. Lord, we know that that agape love flowed from the cross. Help us to live it. Help us to love like you love. Help us to pass it along, God. May it be our heritage as a people. If we leave this earth before you come for your church, would each one of us leave a legacy of love? We thank you. We praise you. We bless you. Thanks for loving us, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?